0: Welcome to JP Morgan's Weekender. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this weekender is Joe Lupton. How are you doing, Joe?
1: I'm doing pretty well, Bruce.
0: How are you? I'm okay. Um, Let's talk about stuff. There's actually, I think, as we've been talking about the world for the last couple of months, there's been this dynamic of growth that's been showing resilience, uh, and there's been this dynamic of um, some new tightening, higher interest rates, higher energy prices, uh, and this week was a pretty big week on both fronts, continuing that, um, that dynamic. We had uh, a pretty strong China GDP report, including the monthly numbers for September, we had a pretty impressive retail sales report for the U.S., and then with uh, um, the report there and just the accumulation of better news in the U.S., we made a pretty big pop-up in our GDP forecast for the US, which will be out next week at 4-3 on an annualized basis. So now we're looking at a global economy that's doing really well in the third quarter. Not everywhere, and we can obviously get into that, but the overall picture is running uh, almost a percentage point above our trend base. And we've got this tightening, and we've got the the issues of risk to deal with around that. And um, obviously, that's in central banks' minds. um, but let's leave the central bankers aside for a minute. Um, how are you feeling? You know, when you're thinking about the world, looking forward on a three to six month basis. I will repeat a debate we had earlier this week. So let's let's get going with that, Joe. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, Bruce, I, I'm I'm really I'm feeling knocked around here, right? I mean, I, I think as we joked around about uh, the, you know what to talk about this week, it feels like a week that goes to 11 in terms of, you know, the divergences and thing. everything is kind of more of the same story, but it's just more intense. I mean, the third quarter growth numbers are seem to be, um, you know, knocking the door off the hinges and in, in us and China China's just a lot better than we thought. Um, and I, you take that. And I, and I know that's influencing your, your take on things. And I, I don't want to ignore it. I, I think the, Momentum coming into the fourth quarter is is good, and the retail sales report was was certainly a reminder that the U.S. consumer is holding up. Uh, I think China is doing what China does. It's hard to read that data. Um, I still think there are things to worry about on a global manufacturing sector that. Um, kind of got a lift because of the China data, and and the US IP numbers were good this week as well, so I don't want to ignore that. But global IP, at least through August, ex-China is not doing as well. Um, I think, you know, the the consumer spending data, at least that we have, we updated through August, which feels pretty darn backward looking at this point, but that's not great um, when you kind of move away from the, the US numbers there. And then I, I keep pointing out CapEx is our global CapEx nowcaster, which does a pretty good job when the dust settles. Um, looks pretty darn weak through the through the second half of the year. So all of that sounds bad, which I know is like like you're itching to jump in here and push back. But I will before you kind of throw me up against the wall here. I agree. Third quarter is looking great. There's lots to look at at the U.S. That's good. But when I take that with the things that I said, which are kind of data points, and I combine it then with these market moves, which are really starting to move into the the crazy land concerning um, the the movement in rates or yields, I should say, um, you know, that that makes me nervous. That it feels good now. Things like things are tracking now. I definitely don't think we're going into a recession in the in the fourth quarter here. Um, the, the bigger question you and I are debating about whether we want to, you know, wh- what about the first half of the year? And I think you and I are getting some tension between us in terms of you say there's like very low chance of recession in the first. Okay. Sorry. So a, whatever, a uh, 20, 30% chance of recession in the, in the first half of the year. And I probably think it's a little bit higher. Um, I'm, 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 so that's where I'm at, Bruce. I'm, I'm feeling a bit knocked around by this week's extreme moves and, on the growth side and on the market so side?
0: So, I, I would just want to kind of try to package that into, into views that have some conviction behind them. I think the the first point is, and the most important point is, that neither the moves in financial markets nor anything else we're seeing in the data should get us particularly worried about something bad happening uh, very soon. Uh, the, well, only like that, the only quarter, thing that can do that the only thing that can do that would be some kind of real disruptive shock. And I do think we need to worry about that. That's yeah, obviously exactly. that's obviously part of the discussion. Yep. Then I think the point to make as you go, and by the way, it's an important point, I think that we're sitting here and we're not going to have another 4.3% US GDP quarter and, and not another 6.9% China one. But I would actually also argue, I don't think the risks of something really going badly wrong in Europe in the next few months is particularly high. It feels like it's still a pretty weak region, but I think you're more likely than not to get um, more encouraging news on the data flow that the region isn't continuing to, to to weaken in a way that's pointing to an outright recession. So my my bottom line in, in that context, looking at tech globally, uh, looking at what I think is an in, inventory story, which is looking a little better, so which I, you know, I'm not I'm not going to push for a, a real bounce in manufacturing, but I think manufacturing is doing better. Uh, and you put all of that together, I think we're okay, and we can do pluses and minuses around it. But I don't think there's anything uh, particularly strong to worry about. We, we do have to actually worry about what if we get another couple of strong payroll reports, where's the Fed going to be? But let's leave that to the side for a second. Yep. Uh, I think the second point, and this is the one which is a legitimate question, which is I do think the rise in tenure yields, in the US, the reflection of that through broader financial conditions is going to be a, a decent drag as we go forward, especially in a world in which we're not looking for any offset by central banks. And we do see some of the um, things that have given us strength in the very near term as as, as beginning to uh, uh, to fade. So I, I think the first half is uncertain. I, I think it's still unlikely we have a recession the first half of next year. I'm not by any means going to push hard on... Um, You know, where we're going to end up here. Uh, But I think we have a a real tension, which is what's built into our boiling the frog scenario tension between tightening financial conditions, um, underlying health and resilience. And what's happened in the last number of weeks is, I think, and we should recognize this, is that we got better news on resilience. And I don't mean actually the GDP prints for the third quarter. What to me is pretty important is how we're reading the underlying backdrop of the private sector. And just to Put that into context. We now have a forecast for next week of a seven percent gain in nominal U.S. GDP growth in Q3. <laughs> you know, we know what we have a pretty really good sense of where labor income is. It's running five six, which is pretty good. Um, at least that's our forecast. Uh, and we have a forecast for productivity gain of somewhere close to four percent, seven percent nominal GDP, four percent productivity gain. That's going to be a gangbuster profits number for the quarter sequentially. Yeah. So you know that that stuff is going to provide us with some backdrop that's going to continue to help on the resiliency side going forward. We'll have to see how these things balance out. Um, I'm not by any means uh, ignoring risks as we go forward six months from now. I still think the most likely scenario is if we're going to have a recession, it's going to be middle, latter part of next year. And it's going to come partly because either the interest rate rises are going to stick or the Fed's going to come in here and, and raise rates. And let's maybe turn to that. I think we've got um, – ECB, Bank of Canada next week. Um, and then we'll have the um, the Fed and the Bank of England. Uh, is it the following week? Yeah, it's the following week. Uh, so we got a bunch of central We're kind of basically starting off the next round of DM central bank um, uh, decisions. Uh, it doesn't look like anybody's going to move, um, but it does matter a lot how they talk to us about where we go next. So maybe I'll give you your your shot on reading that and then I'll come in and, you know, get my two cents.
1: Yeah, I I think the, the I mean, I was going to say the Euro area one is kind of a, an easier story in terms of what we think they maybe should be doing here, which is certainly just pausing. Uh, you may even say they should be easing at this point, but, uh, <laughs> nah, uh, you know, nah, it, I'm, it, I'm not thinking they should be easing at this point. Uh, you know, but in a world of kind of a, a clear stall in growth and, um, you know, inflation coming down and, and, a, and a forecast of inflation, that it actually is going to get even lower here with some conviction that there are some technical issues that pull that down. So all of that points to uh, a, a central bank that has every reason to be more cautious and on and pause here. And we're not looking next week, certainly not for any move, and we're looking for it to be a fairly quiet uh, meeting um, I mean, just since you mentioned it, um, bank of Canada to me is kind of, uh, we did have a call there of a hike. It was one of the few places where we still had hikes from, I think, uh, RBA was another one. Yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, we removed that this week and I, I, guess it's because we got maybe a bit of a better inflation report. Um, we still have inflation there, at least our forecast core running above 3% this quarter um and pretty strong labor markets I I don't know I, I kind of felt like uh seeing them go a little bit more uh seemed to make sense to me but um uh we've taken that out so we have them on hold and that brings us to the Fed um uh, by the way BOJ was also interesting this week we could mention them but
0: uh, the uh BOJ time- is going to be out the week after next too yeah we got a yeah. meeting, we got a meeting coming up too I should forgot to mention yeah
1: yep. Um, so, but on, on the fed, uh, you know, we had a lot of talk this week to me, it's whenever you get a lot of talk like this, it's a bit of a a Rorschach test. Like people kind of see what they want to see. They pick the sentences that they want to kind of confirm their priors. Um, you know, seemed to me that, um, you know, Powell definitely was, um, you know, cautious about the movement up in rates. I felt like he could have uh, maybe wrung his hands a little bit more at it, I guess because it's certainly rattling me, but maybe his speech was written, uh, you know, before the, the the kind of the latest moves um, didn't see in the seem in the QMA that he seemed too rattled by that. I would have viewed that to the extent that's my biggest concern as somewhat hawkish that he seems uh, a bit out of touch with some of the, the, I dare say, kind of fear that's kind of floating around trading desks, um, you know, a little bit oblivious to that. Um, but at the same time, I think also this idea of saying that rates have moved up, there's, uh, you know, they can let that do some of the work for them. That's been a mantra that's kind of been building over the past couple of weeks. So all that said, I think November clearly is done Uh December, given the the strength and growth that we have, given what we think is going to be a, a movement up in core inflation that we already got, and in fact, if you just go back the three marquee reports, you know, payroll report, CPI report, this week's retail sales report. If you want to throw in IP, you can do that. Not really marquee, but you know, all of those are <laughs> all of those are are really strong and stronger than expected. And so, you know, it's I think we were saying last week you and I were kind of leaning a little bit more in the hawkish direction and we got exactly what we thought, which was kind of a more hawkish direction in the data that I think moves the needle towards December. Obviously the markets moved in that direction. I'm not talking the 10 year, I'm talking about forward pricing, people paying kind of, you know, deck Jan, um, you know, that, you know, this could um, you could start to see a bit more probability being put in there. That makes sense to me.
0: Well, I think the, uh, you know the basic point is is Pal basically closed the door on November. Not a surprise there, but right. he did it he pretty not... pretty decisively.
1: Yeah,
0: and I think what he basically said is that he thinks um, the rise in yields is a tightening in financial conditions. It's probably, from his perspective, largely a term premium story, which means it's doing some of the work for the Fed. But I think the you know the the kind of the Back and forth, and what he said at the end of his speech, um, also suggests he may not have a lot of patience if the growth numbers don't cool pretty quickly here. And I think it is interesting that we have, after the November meeting, two payroll reports before the uh, December, yeah, FOMC meeting. And you know, if we have two more strong reports, uh, yeah, December's I mean, I, a I, live I, meeting.
1: I, I, I would I would emphasize, and this seems to always be the case in today's modern Fed, but it's it clearly is very data dependent. And that is another theme you hear a lot from these speeches, which is they kind of, you know, talk about all the moving parts and the pressures and they say all the right things, but they say, we don't, we're just gonna have to watch here and we're gonna watch to see what happens. And we've got some time to make that decision. Particularly, I think the point you made is right, that if November's off the table, uh, then that gives you another couple months of data to say Right now, we have to wait and see what that data is going to show us before we make that decision.
0: And there's um, some reason to be concerned that the next two CPI reports could come in, which exactly. they also have before that could come in on the high side. So right. I think we have to be in in context in in the context of where the data flow is. Uh, the Fed is clearly uh, pausing, but not not sitting here all that comfortably. Um, I think mm-hmm. on the ECB side and probably the Bank of England side, the data on Growth has been weak enough um, that when you combine it with the tightening in financial conditions, it's a lot easier to see them being on hold here for for a while. So we'll we'll see where that um, uh, leaves us. I guess we should um, say a word about China here, and uh, maybe you know we we have not only the strong third quarter, but we have a pretty strong September, um, you know, set of activity readings. Um, how do we Read that. I, let me just say one thing up front, and then I'll let you kind of take the rest of this. Uh, I think we should read part of this as saying that we came into the last quarter, you know, still kind of confident with the resilience of global growth, but recognizing that there were two weak links in the world: Western Europe and China. And I think we've kind of whittled that down to one right now. So, in terms of the tail risk stuff on the downside, I think it's a, it's maybe a trivial thing to say at this point, but it's an important thing to say that um, we've taken out the idea that China could be a real uh, potential source of weakness in the global economy. The question on the other side is how much can China sustain growth and what is its role going to be in the next uh, three to six months? Let's not speculate out beyond that. And What's what's your read there, Joe?
1: Um, I I guess I would be a bit concerned how much they can sustain this because I would say 2003 kind of had three moving parts of, of support here. You had started the year with a reopening dynamic that led to strong growth. You followed that up with some, um, you know, after the, the, the growth scare, you followed that up with some fiscal infrastructure impulse kicking in. Um, I would throw into the bag here, uh, you know, the, the meteoric rise in motor vehicle production uh, that has to have been playing a role in that, those industrial production numbers. Um, and all of that, however, is against a backdrop of still ongoing weakness in private sector, um, kind of investment behavior, real estate investment, manufacturing, private manufacturing investment. And that continued to be the case, even if some of the other pieces were positive and gave us this strong growth. Uh, as I look into next year, I kind of have to wonder about the fiscal support, um, Obviously the reopening bounce is, is gone and that's not gonna be a story for 2024. Uh, the, this stunning rise in motor vehicles, that's not gonna continue uh, at that pace. So that's gonna come off. And then I would also throw in one of the message that we keep getting is this kind of disinflationary impulse and you still see weak pricing in China, which does suggest that some of the strong manufacturing that is supporting growth now has an element of inventory build in it. And I worry that you're going to have to take some of that out as you move into into 24. And so when I put all that together, I'm I I'm certainly don't think China's going to be an engine for growth next year and, and could be actually a, a source of a, at least a, a mild drag.
0: Yeah, and I think that's pretty much what our China team has got. They've got they got obviously one more quarter of pretty decent news, five and a half percent growth sequentially this quarter, but then they have things slowing down towards four percent pretty quickly. I mean, I think the, you know, I'm not I'm not sitting with any particular strong view there, uh, other than what I just said is at least the near term. I think we've taken out this this risk that has been hanging here from uh, the spring onward, but the you know the the interesting dynamic here I think is to recognize that. We had expected early this year some follow through of the reopening bounce on the private sector side. We didn't get it. And now I think we're kind of caught in the same thing. There's a pretty decent growth bounce here. Um, and as you say, some of those forces are not going to last very long. So the question is whether there's any any more organic follow through in terms of the private sector. And I, and I would just note that that's an issue I think we're going to be grappling with in Europe, which is that I think there is a... Um, a lift here that Europe is going to get modestly from what's happening outside its borders. And the question is whether that can activate any positive dynamics on the private sector, particularly the consumer, which has been a, a pretty significant source of caution for the European economies. Um, those are not things I'd want to push, but they are things that are there to be, be watching for. Sometimes you get a growth uh, boost and it does start to kick some things off. So we'll see how that goes. But in any case, we're kind of looking for the third quarter strength to be followed by sluggishness, but not anything that's threatening a break in the next few months. And then from there, we'll just have to keep talking, see where we go. So let's leave it there. And uh, thanks everyone for listening and hope to be able
1: to continue the conversation on the Weekender next week.